0: If you've ever encountered someone with Down syndrome, you know that they are some of the kindest, most joyful people you will ever meet. They truly have something extra. My name is Lisa Nichols, and I have spent the last 24 years as both the CEO of Technology Partners and as the mother to Allie. Allie has something extra in every sense of the word. I have been blessed to be by her side as she impacts everyone she meets. Through these two important roles as CEO and mother to Ali, I have witnessed countless life lessons that have fundamentally changed the way I look at the world. While you may not have an extra chromosome, every leader has something extra that defines who you are. Join me as I explore the something extra in leaders from all walks of life and discover how that difference in each of them has made a difference in their companies, their families, their communities, and in themselves. I'm delighted to have Lisa Hu on the show today. Lisa is the founder and CEO of Lux and Nix. If you like this episode today, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a five-star rating. So Lisa Hu, it is such a pleasure to welcome you this morning to the Something Extra podcast. I'm so delighted to have you as my guest. Right. Thank
1: you so much, Lisa. It's like talking to a kindred spirit here.
0: Absolutely. You and I, we've been in a lot of the same rooms for years, you know, but I'm just excited to dig into your story today. I know that it's going to be helpful for our listeners. I know they're going to come away inspired after listening to this. So, let's just dig right in. You know, you weren't born in the United States. You were born in China. Yes. But I think you came to the US when you were 6. Tell me a little bit about growing up.
1: Where did you grow up? I don't know. Actually in a very small fisherman's town. So the likelihood of someone coming out of that town to the United States and making a career is probably pretty slim. You know, there's actually nobody else in St. Louis from that town. Wow. <laughs> so that's just to give you an idea. Yeah. I don't know if people know a little bit about history, they'll like they've heard of like the Chinese Culture Revolution, which meant a lot of people got sent from the city to the countryside to live and, you know, start a farm or just like contribute back to the country, right? And so my parents, they kind of met in that setting. Um, they, you know, started to have a family and had me and uh, being born in that kind of setting also is interesting because also back then there was a lot of weird cultural uh, unspoken rules like The male is the more treasured or more like superior gender, I suppose. So um, you see this change in gender disparity in China right now as there's more male than female. It's partially contributed to that. And born under that setting, my parents were, you know, slightly, I, I don't want to say disappointed, but they were, if you could dig up pictures of me from when I was like one years old, I look like a little tomboy, you know, like <laughs> my haircut, like it wasn't like they said, oh, you know, we prefer a boy, but also the way they dressed me, it was like, ah, mom and pop. Okay, what's going on here? You know, this is not Bradley Pitt, Angelina <laughs> Jolie, where the kids actually get to choose. I didn't choose this look. <laughs> so born under that kind of setting, I kind of always had a bit of a chip on my shoulder wanting to prove that, you know, females are just as good as the other gender. You know, of course, like now, like as an adult, I'm like, yeah, of course, it's so obvious. But when you're growing up in that kind of setting, you just can't help but feel like, oh, well, like, I'm I'm not good enough, you know, when you're, you're a kid. A little bit Let's Yeah. Yeah. And it became obvious because like I had a, I don't know if we want to go into that much detail, but I had a cousin who was, we only had one male cousin in kind of my generation. And at the end of the day, like my grandparents kind of catered to him, but then I'm like, Hey, look, I have better grades. Anything that, you know, an Asian parent wanted was, that was me. And as a kid, you don't understand why. You just know that it is. And that feeling drove me to want to excel in areas that I could get validation from the adults. But even then, it was like constant, right? Constantly having to prove yourself. Right, 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 constantly. So that was kind of the setting that I grew up in. And fast forward, my father went to SLU, got his PhD. And a year in, he brought me and my mother here to the States. And so I was six years old, coming here as first-generation Immigrant, that was pretty tough. Again, six years old, you know absolutely nothing. You don't know how the world works. And, you know, we came here. My father, he was delivering pizza on the side. And then my mother was working in a Chinese restaurant. So I would either stay home by myself. At six years old, I I don't know. Like I should probably shouldn't put this on record, but like it was it happened, you know. Wow. I remember there were things that, you know, as a kid, again, you accept. You're like, okay, I'm eating frozen McDonald's for dinner that's normal put in the microwave you know take care of myself and then also you know like I would take a food stamp and go and get lunch every single day you know I didn't have anything special like all the other parents like all the other kids had like a special lunch that their parents packed and you know I'm taking a ticket yellow ticket I remember and then you know I get a ticket stub every month or something like that pack of them then I get to get lunch but as a kid you're like you know whatever like you don't realize these things you don't like really think that you're different so you accept it and then you're just kind of moving on with your life but growing up feeling like you had to overachieve and then also then you grew up and you come to the states and you're still like considered poor right like I mean I I don't want to beat around the bush about that but it was like yeah we were poor yeah yeah I mean if I was like using tickets to get lunch yeah that probably (laughs) means something Yeah, and then feeling like, you know, these other kids have something like their parents are giving them attention and stuff like that. And then here I am, like trying to figure it all out and no one's here to guide me. So fast forward, that's kind of the setup that teed me up for okay, I need to
0: excel. It teed you up for who you are and who you are to be. I mean, you know, those things were hard, Lisa. Let's don't sugarcoat it. That was so Hard. Yeah. But you've gone on to accomplish so much. And now you're helping other women step into that as well. And so I love that. But, you know, you went back to China then, I think from the time you were like 10 to 14. Yeah. And stayed with your grandmother. Yes. Right. And then you came back to the States. And I want to kind of dig into this a little bit because this really made me sad. You came back to the States and now it's high school time. You know, and you said coming back to the stage, you felt really invisible. You said you were constantly trying to figure out how do I blend in with
1: the crowd? It wasn't strange to the high schoolers, that, but it was strange to me because the back and forth was very culturally different. So in Asia, you have to get good grades to become popular. And then being in band makes you more popular. So I come back to the States and I'm like, hey, I have good grades. I want to be the teacher's pet. And also, is there a band that I can join? And then, you know, that's where you learn like, okay. Blame. I mean, you know, the kids think that's lame, right? But I grew up in the period of the stereotypical like American Pie movie period where like the jocks, the cheerleaders, and I'm the awkward band person slash good grades, like geek you know, all those stereotypes really doesn't matter, you know, And then, But like, once again, I come back, you know, and then it's like, I'm still trying to figure it out. Like, how do I fit in? Like, wh- who am I? Right. So I think it was those were things that, you know, over time, I've just like learned to have to accept it. It's added to a layer of like resilience for me, just because I'm like, things don't really get to me because I've just been through so much and had to accept it and just be like, oh, Okay another change. Okay. (laughs) You got to embrace it. If you can't change it, embrace it, right? Absolutely. And it's interesting because it's both gave me a lot of the ability to just take things in, but also the downside of that is like not be able to have an emotional bond with people because I wasn't able to express you know, how I felt or how those situations, you know, did anything to me because I, you know, in my head, I'm just like, let's just suck it up. Let's move on, you know, and that carried into my adult life. And, you know, I, I also excelled in corporate and everything like that. But a lot of that was unempathetic that might be the the best way to describe it right as I became black and white versus understanding like and being more fluid with life in general and it wasn't until I started my own business and getting through some of these like really truly looking at myself and starting exploring myself that I realized like hey even when i was in corporate even when i was like on the surface excelling it was really perception of like wanting people to believe that you were
0: worth it and that you yeah were good enough yeah
1: that i was worth it so i wasn't actually living for myself and so that was a big revelation probably even just in the past like year year and a half but it's been a really cool journey
0: you know you took all of that and we've already said it i mean you were constantly proving yourself and you you said you were like the model child. You got a a master's from Mizzou. Then you went on to WashU to get your MBA. You started, I think your career at EY. Then you went to Sigma Aldridge. I mean, you were doing amazing incorporated. In fact, I think you were a director when you were just 30 years old, which was kind of unheard of. You were making six figures. You're working on your MBA, but you know you started sewing as a hobby
1: i wasn't very good at it i have to like fully admit but i wanted this bag right like i was looking for this bag that like i was like oh it doesn't exist maybe i should learn how to sew to make it myself how hard could this be i mean i've done so much already so far you know like perception wise it seems like oh i've done so much everything i've set my mind to i've done and so i was like making bags should be easy peasy I didn't know how to do it. So I just started reaching out to, um, I think my first mentor was from like score, someone that made production before that made like baby carriages. And I was like, how do you make a product? What do you do? And she was like, you literally just take whatever you can find, make the first prototype. So I used like literally cardboard box, some scrap fabric my mother had, and then found, you know, her sewing machine that was so old. In fact, I broke it when (laughs) I was trying to make my first prototype and yeah, I just made it. It's somewhere, sitting somewhere. I probably should dig it up. So I did. I I learned how to sew. I quickly realized that this was not scalable. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. Here's the deal. You know, you were living in the corporate world, you know, you're traveling all the time. And when entrepreneurs kind of jump on that wagon, one of two things, you're either like seeing there's a gap, you know, there's nothing that's existed like this, you know, so you go out and create, or there is something that exists, but it's just not quite right, you know, and you improve on something. And so for you, you just saw that there was this gap and you said like you would be like corporate world during the day. And then you would want to go hang with your friends at night and you just didn't have this bag that met all these needs. So that's where the idea was born. And I love it. And you launched Lux and Knicks. What year was that, Lisa, again, that you launched the, the company? It
1: took me longer to prepare for the launch but i started the idea came in 2017 and i launched the business in 2018 so 17 i was still kind of in corporate and then i started to just becoming fascinated with the idea of creating a product and you know i, I was going through a lot of like personal discovery and hardships during that time so even though on the surface everything was just perfect from a perception perspective but internally, I was like, I need to figure out who I am. What do I want to do? What's my purpose? And then also, I just got done with my MBA at the time. I watched you. I, did, I was doing evening MBA. And I was like, I have all this time in my hands. What do I do with it? You know, of course, because you just took off an MBA. Or like, OK, fine. More things in my plate. busy mind, right? Don't rest. Don't even
0: think about resting for a while. <laughs>
1: right, right. <laughs> no, <next>? rest, what? <laughs> so yeah, so I started on this project. And one thing led to another. I was like, oh, this is fun. This is interesting. And there was a challenge, you know at every single step of the way. Now, looking back on it, there has been so many challenges that if I were to tell me like from 2017, hey, you're about to embark on a journey that is full, you know, potholes. And you know, like this road really needs to be repaired, like badly, like it's falling apart. I might not have done it. But in a way, I'm glad that I didn't have someone telling me how hard it is because, you know, ignorance is kind of bliss. You start first up, and you're like, oh, I solved this. No problem. You get a little win. And then we on to the next thing. No, another little win. And it builds momentum. Yes. And then by the time you're too far in, you're like, oh, I can't turn back now. I love this. But also this is torture. There's um, so much here <laughs> that I want to
0: continue to talk about. I want to talk about the meaning of Lux and Nix. And then here's the thing. And here's what I want our listeners to understand, too. It has not been without its obstacles. You actually went to over 40 manufacturers.
1: Yeah, probably more than that if you count the number ones that I tried to like actually ask questions and stuff like that. But personally, yeah, I went through like
0: over 40. When I've talked to young people, I a lot of times will tell them the story of Walt Disney that he went to over 500 banks before he found one that would finance Disney World, you
1: know, or Disneyland. I didn't even hear that story, but I'm not surprised by that. Yes, yes, but just think if he had stopped at 499. We might not have Walt Disney these days,
0: yeah. If he had given up at 499, we may not have Disney. So anyway, we've got so much more to talk about, but we do need to take a quick break and we'll be
1: right back with Lisa Who Are you a rising IT leader? Could you benefit from a network of like-minded peers? Let me introduce you to the St. Louis Technology Leadership Experience. This one-of-a-kind program gathers cohorts of IT professionals for three workshops: peer small group problem solving, one-on-one mentoring by IT executives, and multiple networking events. You will be prepared for your next steps as an IT leader by gaining core leadership competencies and a strong, powerful network of peers. To apply for our next TechLX cohort, visit Tpi.co/tlx. So welcome
0: back to the Something Extra podcast with Lisa Who. So Lisa, you know, you founded
1: Luxanix. Tell our listeners where did the name come from? So nix it's Greek for light and night. If I mentioned Highway 40, I basically drove down Highway 40 and saw this like beautiful pink sunset. And I was like, ah, oh, it's gotta be named after something about transition you know i'm thinking about leaving corporate america to potentially start a business you know i was also personally i was doing a lot of self discovery i was going through a separation with my ex husband and so that was very very emotionally deep and heavy at the time too so and then i'm thinking like what is the purpose of my life i feel like i've lived a life that was for perception, right? We keep going back to that, but it was for other people. And so, you know, I was constantly asking myself like, what am I doing? I've just kind of accepted versus really asking that hard question, uh, which is who am I? You know, I was 30 at the time. Like I'm asking that question, who am I? What is my purpose in life? And so it was not only the physical manifestation of what I was doing of like going, getting out of corporate into potentially a new business, fashion design in this case, complete 180, very different.
0: Yeah, you were corporate finance. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. What in the world did you know about fashion? You know, I mean you really did it it
1: was not like I mean I was a good like, dresser that was about it yeah. you know I, th- I thought that justified me to become a fashion designer so yeah and like it was funny because my I had a meeting with my ex-boss at the time and his name is Michael he was like who's poaching you where are you going and I'm like nowhere I'm like I'm starting my own business he's like what are you doing I'm like making handbags he's like do you know how to I'm like no no <laughs> <laughs> no because at that time I, I haven't even like I mean, I started looking for manufacturers, but I haven't really gone to like do the research. I don't even know how to make bags at that point. I just kind of went, you know, and took a chance on myself.
0: I love your courage. I love your resilience, your grit, your vision. I mean, it takes courage. How many times, Lisa, do you see people like not go for something out of fear? All the time. And so, like, (laughs) if you are not listening to that inner voice, you may never really step into your real purpose, right? And that was your whole journey. I just, I love the Lux and nicks because I'm thinking, you know, it's a transitional bag too, correct? Because you're going from the corporate, you know, boardroom to out at night, you know, it's eco-friendly, cruelty-free. There's a separate shoe compartment, which I absolutely love because how many times, you know, like you're running to the airport and you're wanting to change into your flip flops from your heels you know
1: yeah Thanks. Yeah. I mean, the, the our backpack is still our hero product up until this point. And that was the bag that I designed at the time. Granted, you know, I've definitely like created more products since. And I want to say, like, I've become better better at designing products as well. But the very first bag was like, okay, like, you can see clearly what I was thinking at the time. Like, hey, I am running between airports, you're right, meetings to meetings. And also, like, the front section even comes off as a clutch and crossbody. So you can actually use it for different occasions that was me. I was just doing so much. And I'm like, hey, I need a bag that also looks good too. It looks like I can walk into a board meeting with that bag. And so those were kind of the details that went into the very first bag. And after that, it was just game on.
0: Going back to your roots, going back to the Asian culture and the way that you were brought up, taking that leap into the entrepreneurial world, leaving a six-figure income, it was not just about that, right? your mom, wonderful person, but she didn't really understand it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, to some extent, it's like, especially when I first launched Lux and Nicks, it was to prove to my colleagues I have publicly have seen. I like literally made, told all my friends, I'm leaving corporate to start this, right? To like prove to them that I can be a great entrepreneur, prove to my mother that she was wrong, that I can get this company going and I was going to make like Boca bucks the next year. You know, of course, like, A lot of things have happened since, including the whole pandemic. But that being said,
0: I've learned a lot. And
1: the company is successful, but it wasn't without a lot of different tests. And also, I still have yet to garner my mother's approval on this. So I've gotten to a point where it's not for anyone else anymore. It's for me. It's for other women that were like me that are trying to grow the career and had to feel like they were less than because of their gender.
0: Yeah, and you have a bigger mission. I mean, it's we equip the rock star women with the tools that she needs to go places and make a difference in the world. Yeah, I love that. And so you're you're doing that for other women. But let me ask you this: Do you have some words of advice? I mean, you're a finance person, so you know about cash flow. Cash is king. Cash is king. You cannot overextend yourself. It's for those entrepreneurs, neural minded people that are thinking out there, pay attention to your cash flow. You know, the lean startup is a really great way to go. You know, what other words of advice would you give, Lisa, to, you know, a budding
1: entrepreneur? Don't underestimate how much work it takes, but also don't underestimate yourself. Because entrepreneurship, you're taking yourself out of a very structured environment and corporate or wherever else you come from, where it's like there is a process set to entrepreneurship, it's all dependent on you. It took a lot longer than I thought to really build the company and build the brand, but also it is 100% totally worth it. You know, I said, hey, don't underestimate how long it takes because I want people to be mentally prepared to invest more time and realize that you do need more resources than you think. When when I first budgeted, it was probably double or triple what I thought it would take to get the company going. But don't underestimate yourself because when you stop yourself from experiencing failure, that compounds. Growth compounds, stopping yourself from failure also compounds. So if you pull back on one thing, how many times are you gonna let yourself pull back on things in the future? So that's one thing, and I think, you know, one of the biggest things and one of the things that has really been transformative for me is, you know, we talked a lot about how I was not able to emotionally share or have the conversations around being vulnerable and being able to share those stories and be able to have those conversations. It took a lot of work for me to get there. A lot of self-reflection, a lot of starting to get over that fear of telling people about my fears to ultimately get to a point where I'm like, you know what, I can fully say that I am authentically myself and I am having fun. And I remember when I was in corporate, I got the advice of like, as a woman, don't be emotional. You know, That's how you can advance. Now I'm a fundamentally the opposite believer. I mean, don't throw a tantrum at work. I think that's legitimate. Don't throw a tantrum at work, but sharing your vulnerabilities actually is a way to build and lead. It actually makes people trust you more as a leader. I think it gives other
0: people the, the permission, number one, to relate to you. You're relatable because you're human. And then I think it gives them permission, right? Then to be their authentic self. And I agree.
1: I think people want to avoid problems, which by not being honest with each other, you're actually creating problems. Like it's not solving problems at its root. It's just, you know, you're playing internal politics. And yeah, so I I think being able to do that and also it is a way to make someone else feel supported too and building that trust thoroughly because especially if you're a leader and they can see like as a role model yourself to be candid and say like, hey, like you can be yourself at work, that other person is going to feel so much more comfortable working with you, especially in the nowadays, right? Like people want to work in an environment where they feel like they're at ease. Like that doesn't mean you don't perform. That just means you perform even better because you're at ease, and you're having fun. And when you have fun, your productivity goes up. That's
0: good. That's so good. I
1: wasn't like that. I mean, I did well in corporate, but I wasn't like that. And I think the old me lacked a lot of that to become a true leader. And that is something I will recognize now. And I don't know. I mean, hindsight's 2020. Yeah. How much better of a leader could I have been if I had taken my own advice now? Right back then. I
0: love that you're sharing that because maybe it'll help another person on their journey and maybe help them get there sooner. Yeah.
1: Your team would be stronger. That's
0: why I feel like it is so important for us to share our stories authentically, like that, because you know, then other people can hear and go, wow, she's more like me than not like me, you know? So, you know, we've got so many more things. I, you know, I wanted to talk about the power of connecting with other women. We have a technology leadership experience that we launched back in early 2019. And there's another group that we're a founding member for here in St. Louis called Inspire CIO. And one of their mantras They said the answer is in the room. Mm -hmm. And so I've adopted that in other ways, even like with your team, the answer is in the room, you know, but you've got to convene people um, and kind of have that tribe. So I know that's important to you. You're so about empowering other women. Where has that played out for you? I mean, you haven't done this all alone. I'm sure you've had mentors and I'm sure you've had people that have spoken into you for the last several years.
1: Yeah, this is a very interesting topic. And I don't know how many people have kind of experienced a dichotomy of what you believe in versus like your actual behaviors. But I've always believed in this because of my background. But the thing is, when I started Lux I was in the first couple of years, it wasn't completely smooth, but I was like trying so many different things, but I kept feeling like I was failing. And not only that, But I was like, this is something that I believe in. This is something that I want to empower other women to be able to be better or like, you know, whatever it is that they believe in. But I didn't have close female friends. And that was like a moment, like a light bulb went off when that's when I started on my like kind of emotional discovery and trying to figure out what was going on with me. Because up until that point, I was still living for other people. I was trying to pretend like I was this perfect entrepreneur. We were showing up as like we were successful when we were not at that point, I should say, I had to dig in and realize, kind of goes back to my own childhood. You know, there was a moment where I realized I had a half sister, my parents separated, and I didn't know that they were divorced until I saw a picture of my half sister. And then I think that had triggered a competitiveness against other women in my head. Okay. I know it's, it all roots back to her childhood somehow. Right. And then over time I had friends, but I couldn't I had a problem like emotionally bonding with them. I mean, these are all honest and frank things. And I think people all have their own demons. And this was my demon. Yes, I wasn't able to express my emotions. And on top of that, I was even more deathly afraid of expressing my emotions with other women, even though I fundamentally believe that women deserve to be on the same like plane as men. And I support that. And that's a business that I'm growing. So I was chanting that. But fundamentally, I wasn't walking the walk. I was talking the talk. And like, I thought I was walking the walk, but I wasn't. And that moment hit me like during COVID actually. And post that moment, I've started to peel back all the layers of emotional complexity of not being able to communicate that, but also not being able to bond with other women on the level that I should be able to, because my belief system fundamentally aligns with that. My actions did not because of all these like prior traumas that I had. And so I I came around to that and I started to first like do the scary thing. I talked about separation with my ex. I started telling people because after that separation, I literally didn't talk to anyone for a year. I got a studio apartment and I didn't talk to anyone, no friends. None of my, who I thought were my close girlfriends (laughs) even knew about it. I hid it from everyone because I was so ashamed of everything that was going on. I didn't know how to talk to them. So I finally had conversations with people, my friends that I was saying, hey, this is a very hard thing for me to say, even though, you know, now I like I'm looking back and I'm like, they're just like, hey, we're just here for you, you know, even though it was something that had a big impact on my personal life. I didn't talk to my friends about it. So I opened up and that has led me to build a deeper friendship with my friends. And the second thing is I realized how important mentorship to other women was. And I started reaching out to other women that have been through it, you know, or other women that are, you know, steps above me in terms of like, or steps ahead of me in terms of entrepreneurship and just saying, Hey, can we chat? And, like not only talking to them about my business problems, but also talking to them about like, here's an emotional thing that I'm trying to. Yeah, right. And it's so funny because that opened up a whole new world for me. And, you know, not only did it really get me to understand what my mission in life was, but really got me to understand how I can help other women to achieve the same thing because I had a hard time doing it myself. You know, like I remember going to like corporate women conferences way back when and I felt particularly like everyone was very guarded. I'm not saying this about every single one, but you know, I just remember looking back on those events I went to and I didn't really have a good time. I didn't enjoy it. Long story short, I've since like people have started inviting me to these like women conferences to speak and stuff like that. And during that, one of the key things I like basically mentioned is like, have fun, be yourself, play, realize that the people around you. Are the people that you need to know and the interesting thing is they don't know much about each other because we're not willing to shed who like the problems that they were having to put the guard down to say hey i am having this kind of struggle one interesting conversation i had with a friend who's really really high up in the company And she was like, you know, I'm not like an entrepreneur or anything, you know, like, I I don't know, like, and long story short, she's at EY. So a woman partner at EY told me this.
0: (laughs) Which is amazing.
1: (laughs) You know, which is crazy. And I was like, there's still only a fraction of the partner population that is female. By you being there, you're setting up yourself as a role model. And two, you know, one of the things that I've learned through entrepreneurship is just being frank with your team and being honest with their team. Because one of the things about her is, her husband is a stay-at-home dad and she was like it's hard for me to tell other people about my success because you know i have a stay-at-home dad as you know my partner so like other people won't take that seriously but i'm like that was hard too there was some other background story behind it but i was like that in itself was hard because of the circumstances that you were in and also i think it's more helpful to explain that story and tell people like what you had to go through to get to the point you are and being a female partner at a large corporation like that, you're still a minority. You're still setting up an example and tell people how you got there. Don't discount how you got there just because you think you, your husband was a stay-at-home dad. Like I don't want to get into someone's personal life, but there was a lot more to that. Yeah. It's just an example of getting
0: real with somebody, having that tribe where you can share those things. And, you know, you encouraged her to look at herself differently and even Absolutely. She has a purpose in being there as a partner, but you know, the higher purpose truly is to be there as an example and a role model and a trailblazer for other women. So I just love it. Well, tell me, what do you believe is something extra that every leader needs?
1: I think leading through vulnerability and building trust that way is absolutely necessary. And the way for companies to build teams in the future the old way of doing it, where you're hiding your emotions, makes the situation worse over time.
0: Well, tell our listeners how they can find their handbag that you'll only need this handbag. <laughs> tell them how they can find you, how they can learn more about uh, Lux and NYX. And, you know, if you could tell them that, that'd be awesome before we sign off here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can just visit our website at luxandnyx.com. So it's L U X A N D N Y X. Dot com. Awesome.
0: And then you're on LinkedIn, right, Lisa? So they could connect with you on LinkedIn as well. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Yep. This has been so much fun. Thanks again, Lisa, for being on the show. I can't wait to see where Lux and Nix goes. You've got a fantastic story, a fantastic product, and I just wish you great, great success. Thank you so much,
1: Lisa. You're amazing. I'm a big fan of you too.
0: Thank you for listening to today's show. Something Extra with Lisa Nichols is a Technology Partners production. Copyright Technology Partners, Inc. 2019. For show notes or to reach Lisa, visit tpi.co slash podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen.